Hello, heroes, and welcome to Session Zero, a podcast exploring role-playing through a psychological perspective. I'm Porter Green. And I'm Steve Discon. Today we will be discussing running games with ADHD. Hi, Steve. Hi, Porter. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm trying to focus today. Do you perchance have ADHD? Um, if people listen to episode six, then they know I definitely do. And I've talked about it multiple times after that. For sure. And last time I checked, your spouse has ADHD. She does. But you know who else might have ADHD? I don't know. Why don't you tell me? Well, we do have a guest here. <gasps> hey, guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, heroes. It's me, James D'Amato. Uh, you might recognize me from the One Shot podcast or my series of books, The Ultimate RPG Guides. Now, I hear you're also TV's James D'Amato. That's true. I have been on an episode of ABC's The Toy Box. And I hear by chance you might also have ADHD. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Well, I think it's good that we have you here then, because if we're going to be talking about running games with ADHD, your literal job is running games while you also have ADHD. That that is true. Now, I think if we're going to talk about that, uh, I think we should quickly review what attention deficit hyperactivity is for those who might be listening to the epi- listening to our show for the first time. If you want a deeper dive, you can go back to our sixth episode, which mm-hmm. is the one where we talk about gaming with ADHD. For sure. um, but Porter, would you like to take take this one on? Sure. So ADHD is a kind of complex systemic disorder where you're dealing with both difficulty paying attention to things and difficulty sometimes with sitting still, difficulty sometimes with following or remembering things, difficulty managing time. It affects lots of different parts of the way that you interface with the world. I would guess like the best description I've ever heard of it is that it's kind of like when a person without ADHD sits down to do a simple task like, say, reading. A bunch of blood rushes to the front of their brain, the forebrain, which is where all of your decision-making skills happen. When a person with ADHD does that, all the blood sort of runs around to their fight-and-flight response. So while I'm sitting there reading a book and it's like, tra-la-la-la, when Steve or James tries to do it, it's like your entire body gets antsy. Yeah, we're fighting for our lives. Right. Reading is quite a threat to my life. Reading is an adventure, and just like any other adventure, you can die. (laughs) You know, actually, if you could die while reading, it'd be easier for everybody to attend to it because anxiety is one of the things that actually helps people focus, which is why people with ADHD are often doing stuff to like stimulate their anxiety response. Yeah. Is that why there's such a comorbidity with anxiety in ADHD? I think it's part of it. I think it's that. And it's also that when you are, because people with ADHD tend to be average or higher intelligence. So you're smart enough to know you're struggling with stuff that everybody else isn't, but you don't know necessarily how to fix it. Right. Because you're you're not neurodiverse. Your brain doesn't work the same way as the majority. So that makes a lot of anxiety. Right. I think there's also that thing that if you are just aware of the fact that you are functioning differently and other people aren't, you're probably constantly on the lookout for people reacting to it or for signs that you not being at the exact same wavelength as others are being recognized. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Definitely. It creates sort of like this dual process. You end up with folks that really want to be, you know, attention seekers. And you get a lot of class clowns that have ADHD, right? Because when people are laughing with me, they're not laughing at me. Big mood. Mm-hmm. I couldn't possibly relate to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, <laughs> we're, we're talking specifically about running games with ADHD, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So 
one of the things I want us to think about is what ways that having ADHD can manifest while you're running a game and what challenges that can lead to. Now, I know for me, because one of the things with ADHD often is that you might be functioning on a different time wavelength, so to speak. You're mm -hmm. what's known as chronoperception. Your awareness of time functions a little bit differently than those who might be more neurotypical. I'm often either preparing for my games at the very last minute, if at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Sounds very familiar. And I know that as a function of me not paying attention sometimes, if I'm making things up impulsively at a game, especially if, the, if I'm working on a game that is a campaign game that's happening over the course of multiple sessions, if I don't write down character names, if I don't write down events, I might not remember them and I might have to have my players tell me what happened if they're being generous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For sure. Uh, this is something that affects me a lot. Uh, I, I typically don't have trouble remembering events, but character names are almost impossible for me. If you are a listener to Campaign Skyjacks, uh, you'll have noticed there are different periods uh, where I have dubbed over some of the audio because I've forgotten a character's name <laughs> and I said it wrong in the moment and I had to like go back and correct it in post. It frequently happens. And then that's little details. Uh, mm -hmm. And names are those kind of little details. I think a lot of it sort of reflects the experience I had in school, too, where certain details like names and dates are not, thing, not bits of information that I could hold on to, even if I had the general structure of whatever the lesson was. Mm -hmm. uh, and that just sort of has followed me into my gaming life, where mm -hmm. some of those little details slip away. For sure. And that's really typical of folks with ADHD, right? Because one of your guys' strengths is being able to see the forest, mm -hmm. even when you're dealing with the trees. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us struggle with that, right? We get very detail-focused and worried about it, but you can usually manage to see the big picture and hold it really well, even when the little picture falls to the wayside. And that's actually something that I think is a real asset to myself as a game master. Typically, when events are popping up in game, I am noticing their thematic connection mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. other things that happened earlier in the plot. And I feel like uh, creating a holistic story is actually easier in a lot of respects, even if I'm not remembering a character's name perfectly every time. Uh, if I don't remember that Tiberius Youngblood is named Tiberius Youngblood, I do know that he he is a, a certain character's brother and that I can play with those emotional hooks. So the story that popped out of that, I feel like, is a lot stronger for that perspective. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I think like I see that in up, kind of upcoming in, in uh, a game that I'm running uh, without giving any too many details, because just in case my players are actively listening, one of our players, Adira Slattery, her character in our game is more or less being hunted by her family. They're in more or less, more or less. Uh, not Give that take some hunting. Not that she's <laughs> actively hunting her own family too. There's a there's a back and forth happening. But a game of cat and also cat. Yeah, or wolf and wolf. Um, and in Werewolf, there's a group of werewolves that are highly antagonistic to the type that Adira and the other players are playing as. So there is likely going to be connections there between that group and that, because they also belong to that werewolf group in the first place. So there might be connections that will come out of that. Mm -hmm. And being able to sit back and just realize, okay, I can make these connections here. If I don't remember the finer details that I need to, I can still have an idea how to guide the story. For sure. And those thematic connections, I think, are what makes stories rich, right? It's the overarching interplay and the foreshadowing and the pieces coming back around and the depth 
that makes it awesome. It's not exactly spelling each character's name correctly mm-hmm. or realizing like my wife did that every empire you made started with a K. So we decided for a while that all K names must be evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, little things. James, are there any other challenges or benefits that you've seen in your ADHD with being a GM? So uh, I, I think like even calling them challenges and benefits is is an interesting way to look at it because I, I see a lot of gaming as people develop different stylistic approaches that, mm-hmm. that work for them. And I think more so than I, I find, oh, gaming is a challenge because of my disability. It's more, I have adopted a particular stylistic approach to gaming because I'm kind of working with the strengths uh, that I have in my brain. Uh, so I don't, tend to do a lot of prep uh, because like Steve, I will often put aside preparation until the very last minute. Um, And there's this kind of like dual uh, thing going on within me where as an ADD person, I actually thrive on structure, but I'm bad at creating structures for myself and I'm I'm bad at adhering to structures. Like I need those structures to kind of enforce themselves in Mm -hmm. certain ways. Uh Like combat is a great structure in a game because like it always breaks out the same way. And like, I know what to do when that comes up because like there are preconceived rules and whatnot. So there are some elements of play that really also thrive on having that structure. And there's a lot of elements in play where I don't need that structure. And it's great that I don't have structures. So it's mostly like I I find things interesting, like uh, in the recent arc of Skyjacks, we had a race as like a big like set piece event that we were doing as part of our story. I had planned for two different sessions. I'm like, okay, the race is going to happen today. And I had put together a rule set for the race. So I like I'll give myself structure because like I know I am going to mess around with this and I'll be intimidated by it if I don't know exactly the type of things that could happen when this pops up. So I did put in the work to do that preparation, but you'll hear I did plan on it for two different sessions because the first time that I was going to do it, we did three hours of play building up to it because I hyper-focused on the thing that was immediately in front of us Mm -hmm. and like the last minute preparations the group could do for the race. So it didn't pop up until like kind of it needed to happen. So mm-hmm. that hyper-focus thing though is really interesting because I think that is, we've talked a lot about the idea like benefits and disadvantages. So I, that's kind of why we're using that language. Mm-hmm. And I think that hyper-focus can be a benefit though. Oh, I know, for sure. Uh, I know my experiences as a GM, there have been times where w- we end up really, really focused on some level of type of role play that's happening there. And it's led to really interesting character decisions, really interesting story decisions that may not have happened had I continued moving along with what the full, I will very loosely say, plan that I had for a game session was. <laughs> but I think that that's a really beneficial thing sometimes, especially if you, there are moments where you can get into the minutia or the uh, interpersonal and social experience with a player. One of the cool things about gaming generally is that if you give something attention, it benefits a lot. Like that that's kind of the love language of gaming is like, oh, I'm going to pay attention to this idea. Uh, so that hyper-focus is great because like if an idea catches your fancy, it pulls you in and then you give it a lot of love and it produces a cool story. Uh, the double-edged sword of that is that when you're hyper-focusing on something, there are a lot of other elements that might be dangling around in the air and not getting that attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we've definitely had nights where we role-played like 
going to a festival. We spent 10 hours gaming and it went from like dawn at the festival till after we won a drinking contest, oh, right? Man. And it was beautiful. We all look fondly at that. But if we did that every single week, <laughs> the story would never go anywhere. And to be fair, this D&D campaign is like on its too many years, way too many years <laughs> at this point already. So it can be sort of a frustrating but also joyous experience. Now, do you think there's any social concerns that happen when it comes to ADHD and gaming? When running a game? I mean, I would think so. Like we were talking about before, that sort of sense of of difference can feel really scary. And although a lot of folks with ADHD also have comorbid anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. They're also dealing with performance anxiety or imposter syndrome, right? Uh, yeah, the the idea like <laughs> gaming, you know, is a lot of really personal stuff. Uh, I always say one of the most intimate things you can do is tell somebody something that you really care about. Mm -hmm. And in gaming, you know, you're telling stories. So you're putting forward ideas that you think are cool and interesting. And if you feel like an, one of those ideas isn't uh, received well or, mm -hmm. or isn't being loved, it can make you ashamed of your ideas, mm -hmm. which is the least healthy mindset you can be in if you're going to be playing a game. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a feeling that a lot of folks with ADHD have. Um, I know I've experienced this. I know that, James, you've talked about this, too. Mm -hmm. um, we've talked about this off podcast, is that there's that concern of being aware that people are acutely aware of the mistakes you're making mm -hmm. because you're also aware of the fact that you function on a different wavelength, so to speak. So that if you're running a game and you might have made a slip of tongue or you've forgotten a character name that you might be internally going over concerns that the players recognize that you made a failure or that you made a mistake or that you made an error and then that can eat you up. Yeah. Uh, one of the toughest experiences that I've had in, in doing the show was playing Bluebeard's Bride in an offhand comment that Kat had made before the game, she mentioned that like, oh, I am not looking forward to playing this game with men, period. Um, and tough. it might be tough playing it with you, James, because you like to win things. And that comment sent me into a huge anxiety spiral throughout the game. So like it was a thing where I read the quick start guide like three times before the, the game session. And my singular focus at a as a player was to not take up too much space and not do too much in that game, which is really not a good headspace to be in. Yeah. And and it, my fears about that, I, I don't think we're super founded because like Kat was expressing like a completely different idea than that. But being aware, oh, you could do this wrong. And specifically the way you function normally could be the wrong thing to do. It is an easy place to get into. Well, For sure. Especially in a narrative game like Bluebeard's Bride, it's just very hard because you're, the story that you're telling is the words that you're saying. And if you're, if you're stuck quiet and you're on anxiety, then you can't function in the game. Well, and mm -hmm. I, th I think with, especially from an ADHD perspective, there's also that concern that if you recognize that you may be an impulsive person or that like you might blurt things out, there's also in that case, there's also that hyper awareness of trying to rein yourself in so you don't do these things that you're concerned about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The thought of, oh, what if I'm not making this fun for somebody? Like yeah. what, what if my fun is ruining other people's fun? That's a real concern that I have in a lot of different situations, especially now as like a, a semi-public figure for gaming. The last thing I would ever want to do is be on a panel at a convention or be in a game at a convention where 
I show up at a table and I'm not hyper considerate of other people mm-hmm. because of my disability, like that, that could like, I, I'm very, very frightened of that judgment. So like I'm actively, if you watch me on panels, you know me actively like sit back in my seat a lot because I'm nervous about talking too much. It's, it's rough. <laughs> And I think that, that that can exist too, just as a, when you're GMing about not wanting to interrupt the opportunities that our players are having their chance to role play with each other. Cause you might want to jump in with an NPC. You might want to have that it, be involved in the fun, so to speak. And part of being a GM, I feel is sitting back and giving players a chance where they can have their fun and have their chance for their characters to shine. Uh, tell me, Steve, when you do actually sit down and do prep, if, if like the, the rare occasions that happen, do you ever find that you over-prepare in exactly the wrong situation? <laughs> Can you clarify that? Uh, so <laughs> you're sitting down for preparation and you focus entirely on one subject and you over-support that subject, but you don't actually provide useful structures for yourself later on. So I don't feel that I've experienced that, but there's a reason for that. Mm. Usually when I'm doing prep, I feel that I, I usually end up making lists. So I end up creating lists of what my objectives are for the next session, what I'm hoping to be part of the next session. Mm-hmm. So I try and split up my prep time across those. And you know, one of the things I was going to get into when we get into this idea, like what are some of our takeaways is being proactive ahead of time and making, creating, you know, lists help with people with ADHD because it gives us uh, some of that structure that we might not normally have. Mm-hmm. So creating that preemptive structure and using that and kind of timing around it is really helpful for me when, when I actually do prep. I mean, that, that that's cool. Thinking in lists like that is really great. For, for me, sometimes I'll struggle where I will create an idea or an event and I'll dig really deep into the world building on that. Mm-hmm. And then I look and go, oh, the time that I had allocated to do this is gone. And I've literally mm-hmm. only thought about one thing. Sure. Yeah, that's Shelby too. One of her special <laughs> interests is world building. So she'll get so caught up in building a region that she'll forget to prep the game. Yep. So, so one thing that could be useful to that is... I think scheduling the specific times that you might be to work on certain things. Mm-hmm. So kind of like the Pomodoro technique in a way where Pomodoro technique for those who are unfamiliar is where you, you study for a particular amount of time. You take about a five minute break mm-hmm. and then you stay for another, that same amount of time. And you do that a number of Pomodoros and then mm-hmm. you take an hour break. It's 20 minutes, then five minutes, repeat four times, take a longer break. That's usually, this is a standard Pomodoro mm-hmm. and timers that you can visibly see are statistically so useful when you have ADHD. I don't know how that works for you guys, but um, the research says that it really helps. And I've had folks that have found it to be good. Something about the countdown. Yeah, that makes sense. I think about half and half, because sometimes I do get focused on the time slipping away. Mm. <laughs> well, like there's an app out there, I think it's called 3030 that functions the same way, where you can set the amount of time that you're going to work on something and set your break times. Mm-hmm. So you can set uh, like, for example, you can set, I'm going to work 30 minutes on world building, 30 minutes on mechanics, 10 minute break and then you can have that loop so you can set that up as a way if you are someone who has uh, difficulties in your game prep as a function of ADHD or even if not and you just have problems with the time management and prepping that's that could be a useful tool for sure and when you're dealing with anxiety or that feeling of time slipping away or any kind of moment where you start to get distance from the world and you're stepping sort of like up into fear something like that that reminds you to take a break and have you actually step away from what you're mm-hmm. working on, shake it off, do an activity, exercise for five minutes, have a glass of water can help you to reground and be more present so that you can go back to what you were doing. And it helps with that dissociation. 
something that I have found super helpful is collaboration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a lot of areas that I'm weak at, uh, like one of them being preparation uh, for the Bujanith arc on campaign. One thing we did is a mini session zero before the start of that arc. And I recorded that um, because I'm bad at note taking. So I externalized that responsibility. Then uh, I... For the world world building, because I overfocus, I had my players come up with the things that they were interested in. And mm-hmm. then my only job this arc has been making sure the things that they introduced to me have an impact on what we're doing. It's great. And there are a lot of little things that you can externalize. Uh, one of those things being asking your players, hey, if I say a name, write it down because I'm not going to be the one who remembers it. <laughs> you can even have official note taker that might we can rotate. We do that because we all use, we use the D and D beyond. So we all have app, laptops out anyhow. Mm-hmm. I used to have that in my changeling game and I used to run back when I was in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, uh, my friend Carol handled that every time. And, and people sh- like she it. was super reliable with that. And I don't have it in my werewolf game. So I've had a few more challenges with that. What are some other strategies in the game? Like in the session, when you're there, that can help. I think one that, you know, when we talked about this, we already said breaks. I think scheduling breaks is really beneficial. Mm -hmm. Uh, One, to give players a chance to recenter themselves if things are heated or if they've gotten distracted. But it's also a good time, especially the ADHD, because you are often sitting in one place, having to focus a lot. You're putting a lot of your attentional energies into the one activity. And sometimes you got to untense the muscle. Mm-hmm. And you having gotta, for a friend, you're not the one who's doing most of the interaction and whatever's going on right now. Like if you're off somewhere and your other player is doing it, you have to sit through all of that for hours. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. That didn't happen the other day, did it? No. Okay. No, I was just, I'm just thinking of it because I know how hard it can be if like somebody goes off on their own thing, gets into combat and you're like, well, I guess I'll go do my laundry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like literally a lot of what I do in sessions, especially because, uh, Uh, We have to accomplish a lot narratively in in a short amount of time for podcasts. I kind of run a lot of my scenes sort of like initiative in a combat where, okay, a significant thing has happened in this scene. Great. Let's move on to this next scene because otherwise I will play this to its full three hour duration and Mm -hmm. everybody else will just be sitting watching and that will be bad. And for the rest Mm -hmm. of us, it looks like you're just doing intentional pacing. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. creating structures to help yourself. (laughs) For sure. Like we actually, we tend to do longer sessions and we do eight or nine hours, but we do three hours dinner break. Four hours is generally our general chunk structure. That four hours is always longer because we get up into something in the last minute and then we go too late, but (laughs) we try. Another structure that I really like is if it's a significant person, Get, a, get like your three by five cards and the significant person's name and stat block just goes on a three by five card. And then mm-hmm. you just have it. And if you can if you can do that prep beforehand, awesome. Or if you want to nominate a person to do it for you, awesome too. But it- yeah, I, I have noticed cards that have relevant information, uh, having it in that small size, like you can have a character sheet for an NPC, but because character sheets have so much information on them, often I will tune out those character sheets because there's too many details to focus on. It's distracting. Breaking mm-hmm. something down into a manageable size. Mwah, love it. Yeah, um, I usually do name, basic statistics, a quote, and like a stat block. So another thing I was thinking about is uh, one thing that's difficult for me is sitting still. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm definitely the type of person with ADHD where I have a lot of pent up energy. And I think one thing that can be useful if if, for some people might not be for all is having things like fidget and stimming tools. Absolutely. Uh, Like a fidget cube or some, you know, I think the classic is messing around with the dice that you have. 
Uh, but having some type of physical object that you could put some of that physical energy into that ideally will not be distracting for the other players mm-hmm. can be really beneficial. Yeah, lots of quiet fidgets are great. Um, I like coloring a lot, too, for people. I found that really useful. We have one person who draws when he gets stressed. We have one person who gets up and walks around in like this, the area of the gaming room, which is all fine, I think. And we have a bunch of fidgets on the table uh, when we run campaign. Um, so... We, we kind of do that with our group as well. Nice. And I think one last one I think we should hit on is if you're a GM and you have ADHD and you're stressing out about these things, it's important to not beat yourself up. Like, be kind to yourself. Be friendly to yourself. Because, you know, the way that I think about it is there's an expectation often when we go into gaming that we have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We have to be the perfect GM. We've got to run things just right. And no one achieves that. Perfection... It's kind of a fallacy, to be real. Mm-hmm. And neither the expectation you should have is that neither do you have to be perfect. So if you are kind to yourself and accept, like, I'm going to make some mistakes. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to make some errors, but that's fine. Because it's highly likely my players are just going to be happy that we're getting to do this. That I'm running a game, they're getting to play in it, and they're probably going to have a good time ideally regardless. For sure. I mean, if you consider our, our entire D&D campaign was literally supposed to be a travel log back to a different town and then Shelby got hyper-focused and we all got drunk together in character and wrote a manifesto and killed some people and then became political activists. So, Whoops. Yeah. Oopsie. But it's been great. Uh, one of the things that I talk about in my new book uh, is setting objectives, uh, mm. like for yourself as a group and for your game, even for your session. Knowing exactly what you want to accomplish is good. And that can exist in a meta sense, too, where, you know, we want this game to tell a good story or we want to look at this as an exercise where we kind of improve our techniques as role players and whatnot. Uh, Setting an achievable objective for yourself or defining what you actually want out of the game will help you a lot with that anxiety because it's easy to walk away from the table going, I did a bad job. If Mm -hmm. you don't know what you're trying to do at the table. Yeah. Uh, Because you can come up with all sorts of little tiny flaws. You know, if you look at, well, I chased after this objective, so I must have been doing it. Okay. Since you mentioned a book Mm. and looking at our time, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of the session. Is there anything you want to plug? You want to tell us about this book or anything else? (laughs) Oh, sure. I am coming out with a new book called The Ultimate RPG Gameplay Guide, in which I kind of break down... Uh, it's it's an informational like theory book about role-playing games and uh, playing them specifically from a narrative perspective. In the first part of the book, I kind of break down the structure of what happens at a gaming table, um, what happens when you're actually playing a role-playing game. And then part two is taking advantage of those structures to give yourself a more fulfilling narrative experience. And the third part is little exercises you can do to work on those skills at the table and away from the table to help develop your own personal style. So, you know, that's, it's like a lot of my ideas and I imagine that uh, people will function differently. So it's uh, mostly uh, something that you can use to sharpen your own perspective, but that's going to be coming out on October 8th and it will be available everywhere books are sold. You can go to bit.ly slash RPG gameplay to pick up a copy. And apart from that, I'm on the one shot network, baby. You go to one shot podcast.com. Uh, you can find my shows one shot and campaign there and all the other wonderful shows on this network. Finally, if you want to contact me specifically, you can go to uh, Twitter, that's the best place, to at OneShotRPG. 
All right. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both for having me. It's good to know that you're not alone in this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's real good to know that there are other people who have those experiences because also it gives you a sense of solidarity. Mm -hmm. It's kind of fun seeing how it's different for other people, Mm -hmm. too. (laughs) Right. And it's good to know, too, that there are people that are successful at this thing, even in like a professional context, dealing with the same stuff you deal with. Yeah. 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 If you think that your disability is going to be bad for you, I do it for a living. And there are like (laughs) 10 people that do this for a living. So it can't hold you back that much. (laughs) You can do it. Try it. Don't be afraid. Please do. Well, in that case, since we've hit the end of our session. See you in the next session. If you've been enjoying Session Zero and other podcasts on our network, and you value independent creators being able to support themselves and continue to create content for you, consider supporting our network on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Your contributions to the OneShot Network helps us to pay for the studio that we record in, the content that we use to represent our work, the hosting of the podcast on the magic internet, and all the spicy water we consume. Becoming a contributor to the One Shot Network Patreon grants you access to bonus content in the network's secret archive, such as some of our personal gaming stories and possibly some of your favorite network characters on our pretend therapy couch. There are also other perks like the Gift and Book Club, the T-Shirt Club, and many more. Please consider contributing today. Hey, heroes. Looking for a new show to enjoy? Check out Campaign. Campaign is an actual play podcast exploring long-form role-playing. The current campaign, Skyjacks, takes place in an original setting inspired by the music of the Decemberists, folktales, and classic adventure fiction. Join Liz Anderson, John Patrick Cohn, Tyler Davis, Johnny O'Mara, and Game Master James D'Amato as they tell a tale of daring sky pirates. Also, it's basically an elaborate retelling of Weekend at Bernie's. Just search for Campaign or James D'Amato on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Heroes, we would love to hear from you and hear your ideas about our show. You can find us on Twitter at Session Zero Pod, or you can email us at Session Zero at OneShotPodcast.com. The song you hear right now is Hikari by I Love Brandon off his album Earth and Sky. If you would like to hear more of his work, visit EYELoveBrandon.com or find him on Spotify, SoundCloud, Twitter, or wherever else you like to find your chilled beats to listen to podcasts to. Remember, heroes, Session Zero is for sharing information, not for therapy. If you feel like you need support, check out Psychology Today's Find a Therapist database. If you're experiencing a crisis, head into the emergency room or text CONNECT to 741-741 from anywhere in the United States. Be safe out there, and we'll see you in the next session. 